Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to your tech questions. My name is Micah Sargent, and of course, I am joined by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Micah. How are you? I am doing well. I Well, let me see. I am... I am de-stressing after a week of travel and uh, feeling mm. pretty good about being back home. <laughs> yeah, I am getting ready to leave on a week of travel. Uh, we're recording this a few days in advance. So by the time this comes out, I'll be halfway through, through a week-long work trip. So we're going to talk about travel a little bit today. I was like going through, you know, packing my tech stuff, and I thought, hey, this would be a fun topic to cover on Query, like some yeah. things we've learned uh, to traveling as as nerds. And then, you know, especially if you're traveling for work, additional stuff. But first, we have more HomeKit business to attend to. <laughs> yeah. uh, several, uh, several questions. Um, I'm going to start with one from Shane, who writes, I have hue lights and motion sensors with an automation for a set color to come on. But if I want to change the light while in the room, how can I have the sensor not revert once it detects motion again and retain my manual change? So... If I understand this right, uh, Shane walks into a room and the room turns blue. Mm -hmm. But if he's in the room, uh, he doesn't want it to be blue anymore. He changes it to yellow. Mm -hmm. But then when he moves, the motion sensor <laughs> says, hey, there's a person here and changes it back to blue which or whatever color I initially said. Like, that would be infuriating. Yes. Uh, so is, is there an answer? There is an answer. What's interesting is when Phillips uh, first came out with the motion sensor, uh, it saw it as this device that you placed in transitional locations. For example, I have one that's in my hallway. And when I walk down the hallway, it senses my motion, it turns the light on. Uh, and depending on the time of day, it'll either turn on full brightness or as a nightlight. And then I think it's like two minutes after it no longer detects motion, then the lights fade and then shut off completely. And so anytime I'm in the, and, and it's also tied to, uh, the amount of light, the light level in the room as well. And so if it's bright enough in the hallway because of the sun, then it won't turn on the light, but at night it definitely will. And so that's really handy in a transitional location because you're not moving around in those a whole lot and you really just want the light while you're there. But if you've got a motion detector in your living room and you've just sat down to watch, I don't know, some scary scary movie for spooky spooky halloween so you've got the lights set to like this really blood red and then all of a sudden you have a jump because something happens on the screen and the lights just turn bright white hey that might freak you out even more so maybe you should do that that'd be fun uh, but at the same time you don't want that and so phillips uh said hey we figured out that people don't want to just use these in transitional locations so we're going to you we're going to introduce a uh, they call them formula. And basically, this is the people who make the Philips Hue devices. They produce these fun little experiments in what's called Hue Labs. So if you're listening out there right now, Shane, you're going to open the Hue app on your phone, or uh, you can go to, I think it's Hue just it, it's it's best to do it. Oh, there it is. Labs.meethue.com. But again, it's best to do it from the app because everything's right there. Uh, you tap explore in the bottom and you tap on Hue Labs. And then once it loads, because it's actually just connecting to a website, which is kind of silly, uh, you tap on formulas in the top left corner and you can see all the different formulas that are available to you. The formula that you're going to want to use is going to help you uh, essentially 
turn off the sensor for a period of time. It's called sensor snooze. Now, sensor snooze, what's neat about it is whenever you set this up on your device, it will t- it'll give you the option for like how to control this formula. How do you actually get to add this formula to your, um, you know, to your setup? And so you tap on it and it will allow you to even use our dear friend, A-L-E-X-A, if you'd like, or you can use your dimmer switch. And so if you have one of those, uh, you know, four button dimmer switches, uh, that the Philips sells, then you can use one of those. And if you don't want to do either of those things and you just sort of want to trigger your snooze whenever you're ready to sit down, then you can set it up virtually. And so what that does is it gives you a button right in the Hue Labs app to control, okay, now sensor snooze is coming on. But I'm kind of fond of the idea that you can say, hey, Amazon in a tube, turn on sensor snooze. And then for the next however long you set it, uh, you can go, I, there's there's 30 minutes, there's all the way up to 10 hours of snoozing. And what's super cool is that you can also have up to three different slots for uh, controlling your day. So, I mean, there are so many different options and each of those is tied to uh, to the way that the, the light sensor is set up. And you can even control things like daylight sensitivity and motion sensitivity for your sensor. So uh, go ahead and head over to either labs.meethue.com and sign in with your account or in the Hue app, you tap explore, you tap Hue Labs, And then you wait for that bad boy to load and you go into formulas and you find the formula called sensor snooze. And then finally, you can leave your lights blue instead of turning bright yellow every time you move or an animal in your house moves. That's what would really get on my nerves. Uh, I I do wonder what colors Shane is using. I made (laughs) it blue and yellow. Like maybe he's really into... uh, I don't know what's a football team with blue and yellow. Uh, the, is Michigan, that the Steelers? Oh, okay. no, that's that's black and yellow. Black and oh, gold. Oh darn it! Anyway, I think we're just going to move on for football. <laughs> move on for football. Football. Run who? away. Uh, Phil Phil raises a really interesting question as well, and it's one that I thought about while we were speaking last time. I want to get into this a little bit. Uh, so Phil writes, "What happens if a home automation? What happens if these devices basically, if the company that makes them goes out of business?" Is HomeKit entirely decoupled from the web service, so it should be fine? What about things like uh, like Amazon and Google? That's a really good question. If you're putting stuff in your home, you want it to last. Yes, I love this question because it's something that I think I think not enough people are asking this question. They're not asking the real questions, and I'm so glad somebody's out there to think about these things. No, but seriously, uh, it is it's something that I am conscious of. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why I recommend HomeKit to other folks and use HomeKit myself, because it is actually written into Apple's HomeKit spec. That is the documentation that developers or rather manufacturers, whenever they are making accessories for uh, HomeKit, they have to follow the rule that says your device must be able to be set up using the Home app for iOS, meaning 
you don't have to go into their third-party app, sign up for an account that ties you to something online that then will connect you to their servers and this and that and the other. You don't even have to ever look at a third-party app if you don't want to if the device on the outside says works with Apple HomeKit. All of that stuff is going to be connected right there and allow you to use the Home app to do so. And the cool thing about using the Home app is that this stuff is happening locally on in your in your home network. And if you're out of the home, then it uses the different devices in your home that you have set up as home hubs. And so I do think that Phil was actually noting that HomeKit is entirely decoupled from the web service, so it should be fine in comparison to things like, uh, you know, who, A-L-E-X-A and the Google Home, where these devices require sort of third-party portals connecting to the servers across mm-hmm. all these different things. It's messy. And, you know, there are some smart home companies out there that have gone, especially like Indiegogo and uh, Yo Gabba Kickstarter and whatever all the rest of them are. Um, those ones, there, there are many that have gone under and they just, well, you no longer have access to the, the stuff anymore. And I actually read about this story one time that I thought was kind of interesting and is also a, I think, kind of, I don't know, a scary path to walk down if you are getting home automation stuff in your home that's connected to servers. This guy was having trouble getting his garage door to open. It's like a smart garage door. So he calls the company to get them to help him out. And apparently he was like rude to the customer service uh, person. And the customer service person said, I'm done helping you. And by the way, I've cut off all server access to your uh, garage door opener. So you're not going to be able to use it over the internet. And so he wasn't even able to open his garage door because he upset the wrong person. Um, I'm sure that, you know, he's able to call back later and get it all ironed out. But the point is, when you're relying on a company to stay around in order for your stuff to continue working, that's not great. But the good thing is, many of the smart home accessories that folks are buying today, uh, be they Bluetooth LE, that's Bluetooth Low Energy for folks who don't know, are connected via a bridge like the Philips Hue lighting setup or something like LifeX where the bulbs actually include the chip built in to each device. A lot of that stuff is happening locally anyway. So these are direct connections that are taking place in the home. And it's why someone can buy an Amazon Echo that's, I think, what is it? The Amazon Echo Pro or what have you. The one that actually has a hub built into it that allows you to connect to the lights. So this is all happening locally. It's wireless communication within your home. And so these would work even if Philips Hue somehow, and I'm knocking on bamboo here, went under. You know, those bulbs are still going to work. What you're going to lose out on is definitely, obviously, firmware updates. But what you might also lose out on is some companies, depending on, you know, the development team, how much work they want to put into things, where their development team's, you know, specialists are or specializations are, the sunset and sunlight controls where you can have lights dim up and dim down or certain alarms or out of home control. These things might not work if a company were to go under. And that is, again, I think that it's important to find a platform that allows you to connect just over your local connection, or in the case of something like uh, uh, Bluetooth LE with HomeKit compatibility, where the iPad and the HomePod and the Apple TV and then your phone itself can all work as Bluetooth relays to communicate with these devices, which is super cool, by the way. Um, that's all happening locally, and you don't have to worry about what's happening out and about. So, 
yeah, some of these things you could lose some features, but ultimately if you're finding the stuff that uh, is is using mainstream technologies like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth or uh, mainstream home automation technologies like Zigbee and Z-Wave, those things are, many of those things rather, are happening locally. And so at least the basic controls, the on and off and the brightness and things like that should be able to be controlled regardless of whether the company exists. It's a really, it's a really good question. And, you know, like you said, the way Apple does it, like it reminds me of their stuff with like AI and like services where they want to run as much stuff locally as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and in this case, the ex- the benefit is privacy, but the f- benefit also is like you said, when these companies goes out of business, you can still, uh, still work your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I have several of the iHome switches. They both, they work with both Siri and the Amazon assistant. And over the summer, they had several like kind of bad server outages and the Echo couldn't control those lights because the Echo is talking to like the iHome service in the cloud somewhere. And then that's coming back down and talking to the switches. And without that middle layer there, my I had a bunch of these switches I couldn't operate with Ugh. my Echoes. It was really frustrating. Like my family was frustrated. Like you put these things in, why don't they work? It's a, it's a awkward position to be in. But if these are things like you said, your garage door opener, your do- your door lock to your house, like <laughs> as these things become more integrated and, and and more than just oh my my bedside lamp doesn't work the way I want it to, as they become sort of more serious c- components of our home, this is a really important question to think about, and uh, I'm glad that that people are considering that when making purchases. Absolutely. And last, the last thing I'll say on this is uh, something that I kind of mentioned earlier. Even at the end of the day, if you've got no issue with, you know, accessing, uh, the, the servers or, you know, a company closing down, I think the reliability of having the, the reliability and speed of having these things happening locally is so much better and so much more something that you can count on than if you're waiting for some server somewhere to talk to this other server, you know what I mean? That That's communicating to figure out what needs to get sent where and those messages have to travel all that way. What happens if your local Wi-Fi goes out and all you've got is your home connection? You need to be able to still access those things and use them and try to, you know, and be able to control them. And that's why I'm glad that, you know, in the beginning, Apple kind of got dinged a little bit for uh, Amazon doing such a good job of making it easy for third parties to add smart home accessories to that work with ALEXA, but it is not done the same way. And so even though it was more difficult to do it Apple's way, I appreciate that that's available to me so that I can still, you know, turn on and off my lights when the Mediacom decides to cut out on me. (laughs) All right. Uh, We got a bunch more stuff to talk about, but I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Query is brought to you by Pingdom. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? How would you know if customers couldn't click that buy now button or access your content? You might stumble across it uh, by luck. You may have someone send you an email or worse, a tweet, but that's not really a system. You need a system. You need a good system to tell you when your website is down and more importantly, do it quickly. So you're not just hanging out waiting for stuff to happen. You need Pingdom. Pingdom will let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. They're smart too. They get the information needed to solve the issue and send it to whoever needs it 
whether it's one person or an entire team. They're dedicated to making the web both faster and more reliable. They use more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as once a minute. And all Pingdom needs is a URL, then they take care of the rest. Don't risk being the last one to know about something on your site being broken. Start monitoring your website today. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code QUERY at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. All right. So like I said, you've been traveling. I am about to be slash am traveling, depending on where in the time continuum we are at the moment. <laughs> um, and I thought it'd be fun just to talk about some stuff that we pack as as nerdy people, uh, stuff that we take with us. So uh, do you want to you want to take this first? Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to mention is actually it's not something that I pack, but it's something I just gave uh, to my boyfriend because I used to use it before I had a stereo system that had Bluetooth built in. And this is actually it was recommended by the wire cutter and it is easily one of the simplest and most reliable devices that I used at the time. So if you don't have Bluetooth or CarPlay in your vehicle and you're planning on driving uh, places, I just saw this funny uh, post the other day about how Midwesterners drive everywhere. And it's like, why would I take an airplane? It's only 600 miles away. And it is a very <laughs> Midwestern thing. I, I identify with that wholeheartedly. So I do a lot of driving to different places and I um, used to use what's called the iClever Himbox Bluetooth Hands-Free Car Kit. And all of those words... What a name. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> all those terrible words basically mean you plug this device into a you know USB car charger, and you plug the other part of it into the auxiliary port in your car. And then together, that lets you connect your phone over Bluetooth and have a wireless connection in your car. So that way you can play music. It has a built-in microphone on it. It's actually like a little circle with a big button on it. So you can play and pause really easily, skip tracks if you want to. It comes with a magnetic little uh, base that you set it on and that base can stick to whatever surface you'd like. And this allows you to, especially for those of us with gigantic phones, it allows us to not even have to pull out our phones whenever we're getting into the car if we don't want to. They can just sort of sit wherever they are. They connect automatically to the Bluetooth, and you have that ability now to listen to the music that you want to, trigger Siri if you'd like, or whatever you know, uh, assistant you use, and communicate uh, you know, phone calls, what have you. So it's an all-in-one, all-purpose Bluetooth hands-free device that uh, if you've got the auxiliary port and you're just using it right now to, you know, probably many of you are using dongles. So you've got the lightning dongle that goes to the mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> headphone jack. Now you can charge your phone in the car and still be able to listen to music and all that jazz or navigate or what have you, because you've got Bluetooth access. So, um, my boyfriend has definitely been enjoying having that in his vehicle and uh, has already like left his phone in his pocket with no issue. So I think that one's a pretty fun one. Uh, the next one is it's a, it's a newer product that I am absolutely in love with. So if any of you listeners out there 
have listened to any of the other shows that I do, then we can all have a frown right now because Mike is a huge hypocrite because he used to be so uh, down on wireless charging. And then Apple was like, yo, 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 we're going to add wireless charging to the iPhone. And then suddenly I was like, wireless charging is awesome because I just didn't realize that it was so convenient, so handy, and that I would use it so much. And because I have like wireless charging pads at home, you know, in different places in the house, it made me wish that I could also have wireless charging pads on the go. And Mofi heard my prayers, my dreams, my, you know, wishes, my hopes, and they created the Mofi Charge Stream Power Station Wireless, which is, folks, a wireless charging device that is also a battery pack. So I can set this down at my hotel on the table. I can set my phone on top of it and it starts charging automatically. If you have a device that you need to plug in and charge, it also has that available. It charges via USB-C, so that's kind of annoying for me because I'm still stuck in the past when it comes to that. <laughs> um, but I've got my you know USB-C cord specific to this and I, I use that. So uh, wireless charging aficionados, uh, check that out if you're looking for a way to just yeah. be able to charge wirelessly. That's really cool. Uh, I've seen several of these. Some of them even have like little Apple Watch mounts. So you yes. just like have it on your nightstand and lay your phone and your watch down. Uh, this is one of those things that I just didn't think about when wireless charging came about. But of course, you would just put it in a battery. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Yes. Uh, and uh, Mofi makes really good stuff. I have a bunch of their products. I'm going to talk about a few of them in a second. But uh, this thing looks really cool. What I would really like to do and something that you know I've been thinking about doing for a while now is getting one of these and uh, fastening it, you know, sewing it basically into one of the bags that I take around everywhere. And that way I could just literally slide my phone into the certain pocket that has this behind it and then have that charge. I think that'd be really cool. Um, so I'm, I'm experimenting with that, looking into that. And that way you can have like a wireless charging bag. And I think that's a, that'd be a pretty neat thing. Last but not least, I'm going to touch on something that is vaguely tech. I'm giving it the tech uh, moniker because it just seems like something that techie people would be into. And it's something that I'm certainly into and so happy about. Um, there's this company and I, this is not an ad. It's not sponsored. I, I just literally subscribe to this uh, online pharmacy and I think it's pretty wonderful. Um, it's called PillPack and it's like a full service pharmacy, but it's online and they make it very easy for you to uh, Get your medication in ways, medication, vitamins, supplements, what have you, in ways that make it easy to remember what and when you're supposed to be taking uh, your medicines, your supplements, etc. So they will ship you a uh, either a bag or a little box, depending on which uh, plan you sort of go with. And the bag has these this roll of packets in it, and each packet corresponds to a day and a time. And so I'll have like, I have, I take like vitamin C and my allergy pill at night and I take uh, a couple pills in the morning. And so at 8 a.m., uh, I've got the pouch and then at 8 p.m. I've got the pouch and that's all for, you know, say Sunday. And then below that is Monday and it's just a repeat of those things. And so when I go on a trip, 
I know that I'm going to be gone between, say, Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, at least that's what was expected. And so I pulled my little pouches for Tuesday through Thursday. I didn't have to, you know, find a new container or throw all of these vitamins into a bag or take the whole thing of vitamin C or what have you. It was all already out and ready for me in those bags. And then that way, if I ever do miss a day for whatever reason, I know how far I'm behind and like what I failed to take at what time. It's just super handy and I know a lot of us in the, in the tech sphere tend to be a little bit, you know, we, we've got a lot, <laughs> a lot going on and our minds are distracted by a lot of things. And having this has just made it simpler for me to not have to think about, Oh dear, what medicine do I take and when do I take it? And, uh, yeah, they make it super easy to do. So if you are like carrying around, you know, one of those fun pill pouch things or pill organizers, you might consider something like this because I've uh, very much enjoyed it. And it every time I'm pulling them out somewhere new, someone's like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this. So, yeah, not really tech, but too bad <laughs> it's 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 nerdy and like sort of in a fun way. There we go. Nerdy um, in a fun way. Yeah. Uh, two of mine are also power related. I think that's a pretty common thing. We always have a bunch of devices with us. Um, but, uh, so I'm going to start with a, uh, a charger by Anchor. It has a, I have an older version of this, um, but it has a, uh, USB C, uh, 60 watt port. Uh, so you could charge something like the 12 inch MacBook or I think a 13 inch MacBook Pro. It would struggle with the 15, but, uh, could charge USB-C. So I use that as a fast charger with my iPhone. You know, when we when you travel, you may be in your hotel for half an hour, right? So I want to get like as much charge into your iPhone as possible. So I carry the USB-C to lightning cable. I use this to fast charge the phone when I'm on the road. And then it has four uh, USB-A ports on it for, for, you know, various things. So one gets my Apple Watch. Uh, you have a lightning port in the second one for an iPad or, you know, AirPods or something. So it's a it's a handy little thing. Uh, they make a bunch of these. I like this one because it has the fast USB C power on it. It's a little bit more than some of the others, but again, if you guys if you have a phone that can fast charge, it is really critical sometimes to get to get that thing powered up as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is uh, something that's um, actually always in my bag. So I actually don't take this out of my carry on. Uh, we have another one in the house. I bought two because <laughs> like I don't ever <laughs> want to travel without this. Uh, and it keeps you from having to bring a bunch of bricks, right? Because, like, we've all been in a hotel room. You have, like, two hours. Like, I have a phone and a watch that have to charge overnight. And if I brought a Kindle or anything else, like, you just run out of ports. And so this uh, is is really handy. Really small, too, about the size of a, you know, a pack of cards or something. Nice. Uh, something else I always bring with me is my time machine drive. So I have an iMac <laughs> Pro here in my office, but I have a MacBook Pro that I take with me when I travel. And so I have a little two and a half inch hard drive. So like a small portable hard drive for my time machine. And I do this for two reasons. If it's a family trip, I very often have my big camera and I'm importing photos. And, you know, if you're in a hotel or an Airbnb or something, even uh, sometimes the, the internet access isn't very good. And so I can't always rely on like iCloud photo library to back up and sync. You know, if I take a hundred photos during the day at the beach or something, uh, but if I import them and then I have Time Machine just backing up what's on the on my MacBook Pro, then I know I have at least two copies of those files. And then on work trips where we're producing shows, you know, audio and or video, uh, you know, at home I keep all that stuff on a Drobo that's backed up to Backblaze. But again, on the road, 
if we're in a hotel, I may not have the bandwidth I need to back up big media projects. And right. a lot of those projects, like it's one and done. Like you, if you lose it or something happens to it, uh, that's it. You know, you can't bring everybody back and do the show again. And so, uh, this is a, you know, pretty nerdy, but I think even if you're on a family f- trip or you know, a trip with loved ones or something and you're taking a bunch of pictures, I think time machine drive, you know, if it's small and portable mines, you know, like I said, a little, I uh, have a little Western digital one I use and I just throw it in my backpack with a USB cable and, um, I can, I can feel better knowing that my data is safe and sound. I like that. Um, and lastly, uh, to, uh, to go with your battery pick, uh, I have the Anchor PowerCore uh, 20,100 milliamp hour battery. So this thing does not have the fancy wireless charging and stuff. I bought this one now, according to Amazon, 2015, because at the time it was the biggest battery like this you could buy. It weighs a ton. It's heavy. I do, this is not a backpack type battery. Like I have a smaller Mophie for that. This is a in your suitcase kind of deal or like you know, only when you absolutely need it. But I keep it charged because, you know, like if we have a power out or something, I can charge an iPhone. Um, it'll charge an iPhone eight, seven times. Like, whoa, uh, that's according, according to their site. So, you know, a 10 S max is probably going to be like five times or something, but like <laughs> one, that's a lot of power. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it takes forever to charge it. Uh, I'm traveling and it, it, I charged it overnight before I left, <laughs> but it, it's just like, a big old safety net. Like no matter what happens, my phone will not die. Like if I make it where I've charged my phone five or six times and I still don't have power, then like something has seriously gone wrong. And like maybe the phone's not my biggest concern anymore. Uh, so this is my safety net battery. It's like 60 bucks. They probably make ones that are higher capacity. This is a couple years old now, but, uh, it has never failed me. It's really good. Awesome. So yeah, so that, you know, uh, Past that, uh, all the dongles that one could ever need because I have a Thunderbolt 3 USB-C MacBook Pro. Oh, so bless you, child. I have a bunch of dongles, and uh, that is what it is. But um, And those just stay in my backpack all the time because, you know, if you ever leave the house, you may need to plug into something. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I'm really curious to see what listeners have to add to this list. I think it would be really cool to, like, explore some more stuff together. So if you have anything that, like, you just have to travel, yes. you have to have with you when you travel. Um, let us know. I'll include in the show notes our friend Casey List uh, just wrote a post, I think like this week or last week on his blog, uh, about what he calls his Go Pack, which is like his sort of like tech stuff that he uh, he just has with him ready to go all the time. So if you're interested in this sort of stuff, go check out Casey's uh, blog post. It's really uh, informative, and I think there's some interesting stuff that he does here. So pretty cool yeah you know i gotta say Stephen, there's one other thing that i actually bring with me most of the time when i'm traveling oh yeah it's my away luggage and that's no lie (laughs) that's good uh this episode of query is brought to you by away it was not planned that we're going to do a travel thing and then the sponsor (laughs) but it is what it is away is a team of thinkers seekers and designers that's why they've made smart premium suitcases so your luggage doesn't have to cost more than your plane ticket. What do you need most while you're traveling? More battery. When you buy an away suitcase, you can charge all your devices while you travel. Both of their carry-on uh, sizes feature USB ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge. It just slips right in the back of it. It's really well integrated. You can take it out very easily. It's really, really nice. 
Go to awaytravel.com slash query now and you can browse Away's suitcases featuring a premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and still lightweight. You can choose from over 10 colors and five sizes. The carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large, or the kids carry-on for the smaller travelers among us. Away suitcases have a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're like me and you're an overpacker, along with four 360-degree spinner wheels. Away's carry-ons are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while maximizing the amount you can pack with TSA combination locks built right in. They also feature, and this is great, a removable, washable laundry bag so you can separate clean clothes from your worn ones. It's a great feature. Uh, I used to travel with like a, a garbage bag and I put dirty clothes in that and no more. Uh, I'm not living like an animal anymore. I was literally just bragging. I, I know we're like getting through this, but like I was literally just bragging about that laundry bag this past weekend or this past week because I love it so much. It's really good. So we have several away suitcases uh, in our household. Uh, we've got a couple carry-ons and we bought the large uh, leading up to a trip to Europe this past summer. My wife and I went to, we both packed into it. You know, we were in London, so you got to get off the airport and then you got to get on a train. Like I've never been on a train before because we don't have rail here. So it's like then you're doing on a subway and getting to the Airbnb and the away suitcase just took all of it. I knew that it was tough. Those wheels make it really easy to maneuver. What can be a pretty heavy suitcase, you can maneuver really nimbly through a station. I was just super impressed and uh, I'm using it right now this week uh, while I'm on the road with Relay. The best part is Away believes in the quality of their products, and that means a lot to me. That's why they offer a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they'll fix it or replace it for life. They also have that 100-day trial with no questions asked return policy with free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states here in the U.S. Travel smarter with the suitcase that charges your phone. To find out more about Away, go to awaytravel.com slash query. And if you use the code query at checkout, you get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash query and the code query for 20 bucks off. Thank you so much to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. That brings us, my friend, to the speed run. We're here. We're here. Uh, I've got one for you, Stephen. Alistair writes, between hardware and OS upgrades and switching to iCloud photo library, my wife's photos library has a large number of duplicates where one is JPEG and one is HEIC. Oh my goodness, yes. Any tips for removing those JPEGs? Ooh, this is a fun one. I thought <laughs> about this for a while. Uh, there are a couple ways you could go about this. Uh, if you want to do it yourself in photos, if there's a way to get all of these duplicated photos into an, an album. So my guess is they probably have a date range, right? Like, like, Oh, the last six months we have all these duplicates, find them all, put them all in an album. And then you can create a smart album that just looks at those photos. And you can use the file name option to look for JPEG or uh, HEIC. So there is a screenshot in the show notes of a smart album I made doing this. Um, and then you could just select them all and remove them. That's so, so smart. A little bit of work to get them onto an album, but my guess is that's not too bad. And then you can just do a smart album and nuke them pretty quickly. If they are just scattered everywhere, if that's not really a reasonable solution, uh, check out Gemini. It's from our friends at MacPaw. 
again, not a sponsorship, but an app that I know a lot of people have had good luck I with. I use and have great luck with it. Yes. Gemini can basically look for duplicates in a library and uh, it may get you down the road you want to go. But um, it, like I said, either way, it's probably a little bit of work, but it's definitely not impossible. And I, for one, really like having a, a clean, pristine photo library. So <laughs> it's definitely, in my mind, worth the work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Take that time. Uh, we're just in a, a photos speed run today because really <laughs> query is the, the iCloud photo library podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, Serenity uh, called well. I, I did not anticipate when we started this, but uh, it is. Uh, so Nicholas has a question. Uh, what happened that my phone suddenly combined my son and my niece into one face album under her name? How do I undo it? All right. So I can't be sure why uh, this happened. You know, what is the what that happened? Um, what I can say is that if they look even vaguely alike, the chances are the algorithm got confused or whatever it is. Probably someone's like, it's not an algorithm. It's this or that. The machine learning magical syrup that makes all this stuff happen. That uh, is what it's called. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you looked that up for me while we were doing this. Uh, it said, oh, these are the same person. Or for some reason, it had that, you know, a false positive or, or what have you that made it create the same person. Um, sometimes my photos library thinks I'm Tupac. Uh, sometimes it thinks that I am an animated version of myself. So that can happen. And it's, it's happened to all of us. But there is... Where there's a will, there's a way. And the way to do this is to start by launching the Photos app on iOS. You're going to tap on albums and scroll down to people and places and tap on people. From there, you will choose, you said that it became all under your niece's name. So we'll mm -hmm. tap on the album that, you know, corresponds to your niece. Then you will tap show more. Uh, that's going to give access to as many photos as possible that, that, photos has recognized that person's face in then you tap select from there at the bottom of the screen and we'll include you know information about this but at the bottom of the screen there's a button called show faces and what that does is it zooms right in on in every photo it zooms right in on the face of the person uh that it's you know recognizing in the photo then you'll select the photos of your son and you'll tap, and this is so odd. This is the oddest thing. You tap the share button when the share sheet pops up on the bottom. So those are the icons that are in black and white, or I guess I should say gray and white. You scroll until you find a button called not this person and you tap on that. <laughs> and then your photos library will finally understand that your niece and your son are not the same person. And you'll be able to go in and uh, either recreate the album of the person that you know gets kicked out of this, essentially, um, or just completely keep that one out. So kind of complicated. Uh, I don't understand why that feature is locked away in the share sheet. That makes absolutely no sense to me, but it is. And that's what you do. All right. Wow. Oof. That's, <laughs> that's pleasant in every way. <laughs> now that we've all got our faces figured out, let's go ahead and move on to Reese's question. Reese writes, why can't iCloud photo libraries be on network drives on Mac? My iMac has limited free space and it'd be helpful to be able to move it to my network attached storage. This is a, a really good question and one that actually several people had. So I'm glad we're talking about it. 
Uh, so in the show notes, there is a link to an Apple support document about moving your photos library. So in this situation, your say your MacBook Pro has a 256 gig SSD, your photo library is 80 gigs, and you want to put that somewhere else. And you have a NAS, so something like a Synology. Uh, the, the issue is, the root of this is that photos library requires the drive that it's on to either be formatted as HFS plus or APFS. So uh, a Synology and other NAS products like that are going to use a, uh, uh, going to require a uh, partition scheme and, and using formatting like ext4 or something along those lines because they don't HFS plus and APFS are, are very Apple centric. They're not really adopted in the wider world. And so the uh, the the iCloud photo or the, the photos library in general, not just iCloud, requires that the drive be formatted uh, in one of those two ways. So that that rules out most NAS products. Now I have a Drobo that is connected to Thunderbolt to a Mac Mini, and that Drobo, all those drives are HFS plus. And so I can, uh, you know, in my situation, I can set up a photo library. Um, elsewhere mm-hmm. that way it's it's on the network but it's on an hfs plus volume uh so really if you're in the situation really the best option is to have something like an external hard drive or an external ssd which have come way down in price uh and park your photo library there and what i like about this too is that you can back that up with something like backblaze where uh, it will see the external drive and make sure it's backed up if you're not using iCloud Photo Library or if you just want a safety net like I do. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, something like a Synology just doesn't work this way because because of the way Photos database works, it needs features that are only in HFS Plus and APFS. Yeah. <sighs> Complicated. Yeah, it is. Um, so, you know, buy an external drive and I think you'll be okay. <laughs> it's a bummer, right? If you have, you know, eight terabytes of Synology space, but um, yeah, just not getting use. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to use photos, at least the photos app, you can't use it this way. So sorry. Sorry to give bad news. <sighs> sorry, pal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that does it for this week. I feel good about the work we've done. Me too. You're, you're packed. You're ready to go. You're going to leave from the podcast, hop in the car. Now you've got a hymn box. You're ready to roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to find show notes this week and i've included screenshots of the stuff we've talked about including micah's directions for nicholas's question uh you can find those in your podcast player or over on our website relay.fm slash query slash 42 to submit questions you can tweet with the hashtag askquery in the meantime you can find micah on twitter at micah sergeant and you can find me on twitter as ismh and until our next episode micah say goodbye see you folks adios